everyone. Welcome back to Draws in Spanish, a podcast that showcases the creative journey of notable Latinx visual artists and designers. I'm your host, Fabiola Lara. On today's episode, I'm talking with fellow Philly-based artist Manuela Guillén. Manuela is a Cuban and Salvadorian painter, muralist, and digital illustrator who raises awareness for socio-political and environmental issues through her work. Most recently, she was a part of Old Navy's Project Week campaign, where she designed a shirt in celebration of Latinx Heritage Month. Let's get right into our conversation. Hey, Manuela, thank you so much for joining me today on Draws in Spanish. I'm so excited to be chatting with another Philly artist today. Can you introduce yourself for those who might not know you or your work yet? Thank you, Fabiola, for having me. My name is Manuela Guillen. I'm a local artist here in Philadelphia. I'm a first-generation American born to Cuban and Salvadorian immigrant parents, born in Miami, also grew up in New Jersey, and now I'm in Philly. Nice. That's a really quick recap. My first question was going to be if you could tell me more about where you were born and raised. I feel like you already kind of took me everywhere, but can you elaborate more about like kind of your upbringing? Yeah, for sure. So I was born in Miami and I grew up there till I was 16, but there was a period that I also lived in Dominican Republic. So when I was two years old to about five years old, I was in Santo Domingo and came back to Miami, lived in Miami till I was 16. We moved to South Jersey, which it was like a suburbs area, like near like the woods, like Pine Barren areas. And then I stayed there until college. And then I ended up living in Philly. And then I ended up while living in Philly, took decided to live in Mexico for half a year. And now I'm back in Philly. When was your time in Mexico? How recently was that? That was when I was like 26, 27. So four years ago, about four, four and a half. How was your time living in Mexico? Oh, it was amazing. Kind of a crazy story because when I was in college, I went to Mexico. My partner at the time, he said his sister had like a ticket, a free ticket and if I wanted to go. So they gave it to me and I went. During my time there, I met a couple. We exchanged information, like hung out during my time there. And like, I kept going back to the island. By the way, me and this partner are not together anymore. And I don't really keep in touch with his sister or the family anymore. But I kept in touch with this couple that lived in this island. And I would go to the island and I would stay with them. And I did this for years. When I was living in Philly, they had mentioned a teaching job that there was a opening at the primary school. They were looking for an English teacher and they're like- At the island. At the island in Isla Mujeres. And they were like, yeah. I said, like, you know, you can come stay with us or like, you know, you can sign up for a program. They can give you housing. So I decided to do that. And the crazy part of the story, I was dating someone at the time as well. So not, not the first partner, but the second one, we had just broken up. I don't do things like this. Like I don't, impulsively decide to go live in another country but some people say Saturn return that was around the time of that so me and him broke up and I was like I need to get out of here I need to change and like that was the year Trump won the election things were getting crazier things felt overwhelming and intense and I was just like I want to leave and I packed my bags and I just went and you applied for that job yeah so I applied for the job I got to teach in Mexico for half a year what did you teach 
I taught English and I did teach art for like two months for like a summer program. They had like a summer school program. So I did that and we like, it was great. I taught kids art. We painted a mural. It was awesome. It was great. Oh, that sounds like a very pivotal moment for you. Yeah. And when I came back from Mexico, I thought about living there. I really loved the island, the people and I was so comfortable there because that wasn't just my first time there. I was already visiting this couple. Their name's Amananza and Juan. And I was already visiting them. And I was like, oh, you know, it'd be great to just like stay for a year to just go live there for a while. And I sold all my stuff, all my records, like books, movies. And I got a call from my current, now my current job. And there was, they mentioned that, they, that someone recommended them to me. I was recommended to them. And you know, they wanted me to come for an interview and I ended up loving the school I'm currently working at. It's in North Philly and it's in this, a very strong, like Latin American district and love working with students who we have a very similar background, like they're Latinx, I'm Latinx. For those who don't know, can you explain a little bit about your current job? So I forgot to mention, I'm an artist and a teaching artist. So I teach art to sixth graders in North Philly. Awesome. So the only reason you didn't move to Mexico in the end was because you got a call from this job that you're currently at. They held you back in Philly. Yeah. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Do you still wish you had experienced more time in Mexico? There are days I'm like, I should have just moved to this beautiful tropical island. And what am I doing here in North Philly? Working with teenagers, like you really have to be a special person. Do you ever like think about like that alternate universe where you're like living at Isla Mujeres, like teaching, just it's a completely different version of you, right? Yeah, but I actually like, because I feel like living in a tropical island and it was Isla Mujeres is right outside of Cancun and it's like super touristy. So there was a lot of pressure to always like go out and, you know, even if you say you were just going to go out for a bit, like the atmosphere is it pulls you in and it's great because you met people from like all over the world like when I was there for the six months I met so many people right because it's like an international destination yeah but to be quite honest I love Philly because it really grounds me I kind of like how laid back it is here and like teaching is very comfortable for me the students I have and I'll always get new sixth graders but there's something about the youth in that area like they're very similar you know and, and like I'm very comfortable and like in this space And it's still relatively close to your hometown. Yeah. So that has to be a little bit reassuring. Yes. So you lived in Isla Mujeres. You lived in Dominican Republic. How have those living experiences like shaped you or your work? Do you think they have at all? Yeah, I do think that living in tropical places like that has shaped my work. I also like living in Miami. I think my culture and like being experienced with other Latin American cultures, like the Dominican Republic and Mexico has definitely influenced my work. I was thinking about like all the colors I use in my art and they're almost like soft tropical colors. And it's, it kind of reminds me of like when I was a kid, like when I look back on my early childhood memories, my mom would take me to the beach or we'd walk around the neighborhood. And I feel like I was always like immersed in the colors. And this is when I was in the Dominican Republic. I remember just like always seeing flowers everywhere or like staring at the water for hours and it still stayed with me or like growing up in Miami I don't always mention this but like my Instagram handle is called lazy beam and it's kind of like another name I go by sometimes but I got that name because 
I would spend days living in Florida, like just laying on the grass and like staring at the clouds and just feeling like the sunbeams and just being lazy. And I did a series where I tried to imitate things that were inside these pink clouds and I would put like different things that I would see. So I had an art series like that for a bit. Yeah, I feel like the heat in Florida has a way of slowing everyone down sometimes in like a twisted way. It can be like both beautiful and also like intense. Yeah, and just one more thing too, like the settings, right? Like the tropical places, that's definitely something I do try to incorporate in my work often, like beaches, palm trees, kind of the warm, like a soft, warm feeling. I know last time we talked in person, you had told me a little bit about your childhood. But when I was like kind of researching and preparing for this, I didn't see too much information out there. So thank you for sharing. You mentioned to me that you are Cuban and Salvadorian. What was it like kind of growing up with those two influences for you in your childhood? I love being this mix. My family is from the Caribbean and then I have family from Central America. And just being introduced to like the food that you would see in the Caribbean and the music and the way people carried themselves, like the way Cubans speak in in Miami, like it's very strong and bold. Like you always think, like you you just stop what you're doing and you listen. And then like Central Americans, like I always think about my sisters because I have three sisters that were born in El Salvador and my mom, like they're a little bit sometimes soft-spoken. They also make different dishes than like what Caribbean people make. Yeah, I feel like there's like an assumption that all Central America and Latin America and the Caribbean all have like the same culture. But you being from these very specific cultures that are totally different is like such a beautiful mix and has to kind of expand your view a little bit. Oh my God. I'm glad you touched on that because like I've had this conversation many times. People in the US really put Latin Americans, like Latinx people, like in a box. Like we're all the same, but we are very different. No, yeah, it's like a bunch of different countries. Yeah, they're different countries. Not everyone in the Caribbean even does the same foods, right? Like, so even I'm talking about Caribbean food. Yeah, there's some influence because yes, right? But they're different. Yeah, there's more similarity between countries that are closer to each other because of the same kind of climate, the same geography kind of inclines the countries to be more similar because like they're growing similar stuff, but the culture can be completely different. Was it weird for you, like being in Miami? There's such a strong Cuban influence in Miami because of the proximity to Cuba, obviously, but also just like a lot of Cuban immigrants land in Miami. Was it weird for you growing up with like such a strong Cuban presence, but then like maybe El Salvador isn't as represented? I feel like I only met a handful of Salvadorians in Miami and even here, like living in Philadelphia. And when I lived in Jersey, I only met like a handful. So I didn't live in like sexy, cool Miami that everyone's probably thinking about right now. Like I'm I'm not from that Miami. I'm from like Homestead, Florida, which is still Miami-Dade. And I moved around a lot. We moved around a lot. So we I lived in Miami Springs, Homestead, Florida, Hialeah. So it's not like the Miami you often see on TV where it's like sexy, cool clubs, you know, it's you know, a little different, <laughs> like Homestead, for example. It's almost like Miami suburbs. I know I have been to Homestead, but I don't remember anything. I was a kid, so I have like no permeance with locations. Right, because you're also from Florida. Yes, I'm from Florida. I grew up in in Miami. Again, not the sexy part, but I grew up in Kendall, which is like, it's like hip now, I guess, maybe, or more known. And then I grew up in like the suburbs of Florida hours away. So, but very different than like, what you're 
explaining, I think, based on like, you know, when we chatted last time. Yeah. So Homestead is more like Everglades and there's a lot of farmland. But there, there's actually a strong Mexican community. And, you know, I'm Salvadorian on my mom's side and being Cuban. The fact that there were a lot of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, like it was pretty decent. I didn't feel like out of place because it's Mexico's, you know, above Central America. So like there were some similarities related to like how we made tortillas and corn being a big influence in our dish. That's cool that you were able to connect with El Salvador through even just like Mexican food or the neighbors or people just because of the closer similarities. Yeah, like, you know, obviously they introduced me to new stuff. When I was a kid, like I went to some of my friend's house and they would introduce me to like the candies they would bring from Mexico and they would describe it to me and they're like, oh, this is tamarindo. And I was like, oh, wow, my mom eats that. Like we eat, we eat that too. And they would be like, oh, try this candy. It has like this chili and this thing. And then I, and then this it has mango. And I'm like, oh, I eat mango. And like, we put like tahine on top of it. And I'm like, what? I love this thing. And I never had tahine. I remember the first time I tried tahine and like Lucas. I don't know if you've ever had these. I've had tahine. I haven't. What was the other one that you said? The other one's called Lucas. No, I haven't tried that. When I was a kid, I loved it. It's like salt and lime powder and you, it's a candy and you would just put it on anything. You just eat it straight. But yeah, I, ha- I liked that when I was in Florida, like I never felt ostracized for being who I was. Not in Florida. I don't know. Jersey was different. Let's get into that because I feel like in Miami, everyone is from all over Latin America and there's just like an acceptance of it. Obviously, there's like a bigger representation for Caribbean countries purely because of proximity. But how was it like moving to New Jersey from Miami, which is so diverse and Latin American influenced to New Jersey, which isn't? Moving from South Florida, from Miami to South Jersey, where... I was in the suburbs, you know, I was in the woods, like the Pine Barrens were there. Everyone's POC in South Florida. I kid you not, like I barely saw white people ever. I mean, everyone speaks Spanish. If you don't speak Spanish, it's weird. Yeah. And even if people, if that wasn't like, they're, like that wasn't a language they grew up with, they knew it. Yeah. Like you understood. Yeah. I had friends from like Haiti who like, they knew the words at least. They knew some words. Yeah. Because if you had to order at anywhere or if you had to go to the store most likely everyone who worked there spoke Spanish. It's very normalized there. When I moved to Jersey, I did feel a little ostracized. I remember like my mom and my family, like there's, I have five sisters and one of them stayed in Florida and the rest of us came to Jersey. So one stayed in Florida with her husband and kids and my other, my older sister who also had husbands and kids, we all like kind of like moved, we moved in the same neighborhood, like houses were pretty close. And like when we were talking Spanish in public, I was 16 years old and awkward. And I remember like noticing how people looked at me or looked at my family. And like, I started feeling embarrassed. So I like wouldn't speak Spanish. And then when I went to the high school, there were Latinx kids there and other POC kids there. But it's not the same. It's like, they're all like, okay, now I'm projecting onto you, but I don't know if this was the case for you. Like I moved to a super white school and then there was like a click of like, the Latinx kids, but it's like five total. It might be, it was definitely more than five. I think there were like 15 of us or something. It was a good amount, you know, from all nine to 10, you know, nine to senior, right? Like nine to 12. But I was definitely a minority, you know, and would bring that to my attention. I remember being called ghetto, which was weird because I was always kind of like a weird kid, even in Florida. Like I, 
was kind of like into the emo scene. I paint my nails black and like I was kind of, I would dress, I would dress weird. It's so embarrassing. I don't know. So I wasn't even like, I was like, I'm, I don't feel like I fit a stereotype, but living in Florida and being Latina, like there were some things I still carried with me. Like, yeah, I was emo, but I still wear hoop earrings with my name on it, you know, like, cause I was like what people wore in homestay all the time. And that, and I love that. Cause look. that's what was cool. Like, I think that's something that, is like underexperienced almost is like if you go to one school that's like the culture is so specific like in Miami you know it's like so Hispanic and Latin American influenced and then you go to a white school like what's cool is totally different and it's like so trippy (laughs) yeah like hoop earrings were not seen as cool it was seen as ghetto and I wore like bracelets gold bracelets and I had lots of jewelry on I mean it's funny now like a lot of the stuff people wear because I guess people wear street culture now on the runways, I guess. But like back in the 2005, 2006, like I didn't see a lot of people wear that in my high school, except like the Latinx kids or the black students. And it was like the different thing to be doing. And not everyone, right? Because I want to also point out not everyone, not, I'm not saying that everyone wears. <laughs> but I get what you're trying to say. Like, it's just a different vibe. Yeah, so I definitely felt ostracized. Luckily, though, I did find a group of people in the school who I felt safe with and I found community in. I did meet other artsy POC kids when I was in high school, some who I still keep in touch with. We did find community and like we expressed like kind of like our frustrations of how people saw us or like sometimes we just talked about art and we felt ourselves and there was there was like a nuance in that like our identity wasn't like always talked about when we were together we just were kids making art that was our community and we met more people along the way in high school but it was really nice to find that that's awesome especially when like you go to a new place you just want to find people that are like like you and you can hang out with and find like safety you said now that you had like your artsy latinx people of color squad have you always been artsy is that something that you in high school or in middle school, when you were artsy, was that like to a benefit? Yeah. So I was always into art. And I think there's something really amazing about being an artist because you become like a little bit more open-minded. You're willing to try new things. And I have been into art since I was 12 years old. And there's something about hanging out with artists. We like not go to the lunchroom. We go to the art room and have our lunch there and make art. And we would talk softly like we weren't very like extra you know like I was very shy when I was in middle school and a lot of my friends I hung out with were also like that I mean it's funny now because I feel like a lot of us really have come out of our shells and since you said you've been artsy since you were like 12 has your family always been supportive and nurturing of that yeah I think that they've always been supportive I remember like my dad always buying me art supplies when I was a kid my mom, when I told her I wanted to be an artist, she came here undocumented and she's always had like low paying jobs. She works in the fields and housekeeping. And I never felt like she pressured me to make a lot of money because I always hear what like other people go through. And they're always like, yeah, I told my immigrant mom that I want to be an artist. And like they shot it down. I'm like, my mom never did. She didn't. She was so excited for me. And she thought it was so cool. And she thought it was amazing. I was going to go to school for that. And she's always been supportive. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, especially with immigrant parents, it's like a harder sell. Like, in my experience, like my 
both my parents are immigrants. I'm an immigrant. And when I told them, it was like, you know, my parents are super supportive, but there is like a sense of doubt, you know, it's like, all right, go for it. But like kind of this like reservation. I come from a family of, they've always been supportive and we're like survivors too. So I know like almost everyone in my family have had to have different jobs and try to, you know, make it. We really did come from some really and some hardships. Like my mom was a documented for years and we lived in low-income areas. So like we always knew like we would somehow be able to find a way to get through. Like, right. So it's like may as well pursue art. You'll figure it out. Yeah. They're like, oh, you want to do art? Okay. Like you'll still find a way to pay the bill. There was no doubt because they we were just that kind of family. Like we're very like survive and we'll figure it out along the way. And they were supportive. My sister was supportive. And so you ended up going to school for art? Yeah, I did. Where'd you go? What did you major in? So I did go to school for art and it was for painting, which was kind of intense. I went to community college first, by the way, and I did studio art and I realized I really enjoyed painting from all the different art styles I tried in those two years. And then I went to Stockton College. Well, now it's not Stockton University, but when I went, it was called Richard Stockton College. And that's a small school in the middle of, again, the woods of Jersey. And it's really a lovely school. The building was small, like it didn't pass the trees. And there was like, you can go on hikes in between classes. It was, it was like really peaceful. Like our studio days, it would be like four of us. Cool. That's cool though, because then you get some more one-on-one time. Before we like continue to talk about your work, are there any misconceptions or tropes about Cuban or Salvadorian culture that you're like tired of hearing of that you want to like dismiss? I ask this because I'm like with every episode, hopefully we can like educate. Right. I love that you do that. I mean, I just feel like I hear all the stereotypes and they're all wrong. All right. I got to talk about being Cuban and living in Miami and the stereotype that stings the most. (laughs) that stung the most growing up was like and still right like how people assume like women from Cuba have like the best bodies and like they're very objectified they are objectifying like these women's bodies in Miami Florida like it's like praise like people are like yeah like that's the body it's the body like all Cuban women have Beautiful bodies. It's like perfect hourglass bodies, right? Like that's the, for listeners who don't know, like that's the trope. That's the stereotype. I hated that one because, man, I really needed a lot of self-love. Like I really have grown a lot with my self-love. But like when I was living in Miami where everyone's freaking gorgeous, like (laughs) I was skinny. I was like skinny. Oh, I feel like people from Miami are going to get me too. They're going to be like, what are you saying? No, I get what I get what you're trying to say, though. Like the stereotype in Miami is to have like this perfect hourglass body. People just assume it of Latin American women, I think, like because we have the error of overgeneralizing all of Latin America. It's like this perfect hourglass, like busty, but like perfectly busty. And yeah, it's like in, in Miami, it's so prevalent. I did not look like that at all. And I mean, I remember one time when I moved to Jersey, I was working in a performing arts theater and someone I worked with was like, you know, where are you from? And I told him I was Cuban and Salvadorian. He's like, huh, interesting, because your body, you just don't look it. A man told me this. I was like, what? And I was like, well, that's inappropriate. Like you work with me. And I was also like 20 years old. I was like, what? 
I was like, I thought I got away from this, leaving Miami, <laughs> but no. No, but there's always this like stereotype. I mean, I think it's just so prevalent too. like in Miami, you experience it, living it, you know, like if you go to the mall, if you go to the shops, like that's what's like, even the mannequins look like that. But then I think on TV, for example, the representation of like quote Latin American women, they are kind of like that. And so it just like spreads everywhere. <laughs> And that's like not good for anyone's mental health. All my life, I always heard Latin women, they like, I need to be on a diet. I'm on a diet. And it was just like, you know, and, you know, talking about self-love, like, you know, our bodies, we need to appreciate for everything they do for us. Like we put food in it and water in it and like, it's going to look and feel soft and like, you know, we should love it. And of course, like, you know, if you want to take care of your body and like exercise and you want to look athletic and fit like yeah that's also valid but like let's remember like latin american women our bodies they come in many shapes and also stop objectifying it like i'm still like in disbelief that a man and not it wasn't just him like I, when i lived in mexico and i told people i was i told them i was cuban too I, they would just bring up my body oh, that's horrible yeah let's shut that down if any listeners out there mistakenly thought this Shut it down. If you hear other people saying this, yeah, let's move forward. <laughs> okay, so going back to your work, when did you first kind of start using art to raise awareness for more socio-political causes and more just like social causes? When I moved to New Jersey, because I felt ostracized and I felt kind of out of place, I stopped using art to tell like, my story. I still made art, but it wasn't storytelling. It wasn't me showing. It wasn't saying anything anymore. But when I was living in Florida, like I was actually very political in middle school and high school. Like I went to my first protest when I was like, I think I was like 11 or 12. And there was a Cuban boy who like came from, you know, came from Cuba. So you remember this? Because you lived in Florida. Elian. Do you remember the Elian? <laughs> Elian. Oh my God. A yeah. Legend. And like the trauma that came with him being like removed from his family. Like they sent in a whole squad team to remove a, like 11 year old boy. My dad, like we talked about it and he's like, you know, we should go and like support this family. Like, so that was one. And then when I was in high school, I went to a couple immigration protests. So I'm, like I mentioned, I'm from Homestead, which there's a lot of farmland. My mom was a field worker. Like she collected tomatoes and other things like from the field. So, you know, I always have a soft spot and like for immigration rights. And I would do a lot of walkout protests in my high school or like or I'd go to protests if it was in a neighborhood. There weren't many at the time. And also being that I was young, my mom didn't always let me go. So I was passionate about these things. I didn't put it into quite into my art yet. When I went to college, though, for my thesis show, when I was thinking about what I wanted to make, I decided to tell my family's immigration story and also experiencing the duality of being a first generation American and like still being a part of my family's culture, you know, because my family were, you know, they had to leave their homeland because of, I mean, many factors, but I always think about like U.S. imperialism, like how that affects countries in Latin America, like El Salvador experienced a civil war. And my mom had no choice but to leave and seek asylum and come to the U.S. And the you know, same thing with my dad, like being in Cuba, it was hard for them to have access to food. And, and we can get into these topics another time. But like, I always like, <laughs> like politics, like really revolved around me without me really knowing it was politics. 
I mean, it's just like it's present in your life. So it's like you don't necessarily choose to be always involved. It's like just a part of your story at this point, right? Yeah. And it was a conversation. They would just tell me their story, what it was like when I was graduating or when I was about to graduate from my senior thesis show. I told their story. And for the first time, I started talking about immigration rights. And I started talking about my family's, their journey and like what they've overcome. And like my myself, like, what's it like being a first generation in this country? I'm the first American ever in my family's history, right? Like, and now, of course, like, we're all Americans, but like, to tell that story. And my professor at the time was like, hey, like, He's like, are you going to continue doing this political art? And I was like, oh, no, it's not political. It's just my family story. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, how was it like creating that kind of personal, now you know, political work there in the context of South Jersey, let's say? I believe that art and storytelling are very important tools to like create social change in your community. So even though there were three painting majors, I remember like they were all white. We would talk about our paintings and I would tell them my story and they would like, wow, I had no idea, you know, like that this kind of stuff happened to people. Then they started sharing their story. It turned out like one of the painters, it was Jewish and like they were telling me their story and like it really like there was like a sense of community and like we talked about our struggles and I really love that about art, like how telling stories through our work like can foster like empathy and community and you realize like you know we're not so different that's really (laughs) true yeah like it especially when people don't have one-on-one experience right like they didn't know this kind of your immigrant story they didn't know that this quote like really happened and by you opening up through your artwork like now they know and now they can like they have empathy for you because they know more about you and it's just like You do that now with your work, even on Instagram, just like continuing to share to your followers, whatever their background is, can kind of like learn empathy and like learn what else is going on. And I think that it's really cool that you're able to carry that through. You know, I do want to always express that like when I make art, it really did start from a place of like healing for me, like to cope with the hardships I went through growing up and the environments I had growing up and the things I saw in my community. And, you know, it's been hard. Like my childhood has been hard. And, and also even more seeing people from our community, people from marginalized communities, like constantly being targeted. And that can take a toll on your mental health. And I made this work as a form of healing and or to uplift us, keep us going. But also, it definitely does create a space too for people who may not go through the same things, but like they may understand maybe a little if they are open to understanding. Because the way I make my art is super soft and intimate. And it's like very inviting. And I find that people don't even realize it's political until like, they really take a moment to look or like read the caption or read the artist statement or, or like read the message. If I write a message on the art, I had roommates years ago who their friends messaged me and were like, Hey, I never cared about this stuff until I started like looking at your work or I never like noticed it. Like, and I was like, Oh wow, it's working. That's the thing. Like, I feel like when you make art, the art is so personal to you that you kind of assume everyone's kind of in the same headspace you know like what you know seems universal and then then there's people like who have no contact with the topics that you're covering 
and it really like blows their mind and expands like their horizons. But sometimes you don't know that because everyone around you kind of is similar to you. There's definitely a warmth to your work. And I definitely see what you're saying about it being like inviting, but then like throw in a message, you know, that has more depth to it just to like make it more powerful. Can you tell me about like any projects that you have in the works? So the work I have coming up is with Neural Arts and uh, Reading Captain. And I'm working with uh, Reading Captain, who is an organization to encourage reading within families and kids, especially at a young age. And I've met with a bunch of Reading Captain folks. And I hung out in South Philly and like talked to a bunch of families. And Neural Arts is like, they offered me a billboard to make a piece of art inspired by the Reading Captain people and the community of South Philly. I'm excited because it's on 9th Street, on um, 9th and Washington. So have you been to that, that area? Have you been to that area like near Italian, the Italian market? Yes, I lived in the Italian market. The Italian market's there, but like near 9th and Washington, there's a strong Central American Mexican community like South Philly Barracoba is there and there's a lot of like places you can buy like. Yeah, it's called the Italian market, but there's so much like Central American influences there. So it's in that area. But then it's interesting because you walk just one block over. It's like the Vietnamese community is right there. So my piece is inspired a little bit by both. And I love where the billboard is. It's literally above a Mexican, Latin American grocery store, but it's mostly Mexican like grocery store stuff so the billboards right above that is like a little guadalupe and everything like mural already below oh my gosh i can't wait to see that that's gonna be awesome it's gonna be fun it's a fun one i mean i'm so honored so honored that i get to be a part of this are there any new mediums like this mural is like totally new for you are there any other new mediums you'd like to try out that you haven't had a chance to yet so I'm currently trying to get into like screen printing and printmaking again. I mean, like I did it in college. I took some classes, but like then I stopped for years. So it's not new. But it's something that you want to try out again. So that's one that I decided to get into embroidery. And this is just me trying to reconnect with my Salvadorian culture. But when I was a kid, I had all these dresses with these beautiful embroidered like birds and flowers on my dresses. And I kind of want to make pieces for myself. This is personal to me, so it's not going to go out anywhere. I'm not selling it. It's just for me. You know, I know that's normally rooted in like indigenous culture. My mom and I recently had a conversation like, you know, my mom's mom, my grandma, who I've never met because she passed away, but she's indigenous. It's indigenous to El Salvador. Like she lived off the land and everything. And uh, I I never got to meet her, you know, but I don't know. I kind of want to feel closer to that part of my identity and, you know, my heritage. Any points of entry to reconnect with your culture are just so special, you know, like even if it's as like as simple, I guess, as like, let me try embroidery because like that reminds me of my dresses. It reminds me of like the culture in general. Like, that's awesome. Do you have any dream projects? Like if you could do anything with your artwork, what would it be? I always wanted to paint a huge mural. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Because you have plenty of experience with murals, but Have you not worked on that large of a scale yet? No. Two stories is the biggest I've ever done. I mean, I don't even know if I'm allowed to. I feel like you have to be a professional. Like, because you have to use like like fancy equipment. That's one of those things where it's like a, that's probably like a random insurance thing. Like for two days, you have to get like insurance or something, you know, or whoever commissions you in this dream reality does it for you. 
Yeah. And another one that this one's definitely like a dreamer, like me just really dreaming if I could do a project, I would love to like have an art piece in the PMA or something like a nice gallery. How can people support you and your work these days? So ways to support me. I do have an online shop. You can go to lazybeamite.com. I sell prints and stickers and some original paintings. I mean, definitely supporting me like by following my journey. You can follow me on all my social media platforms, which is at LazyGameArte. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. I feel like we just scratched the surface of all of your artistic work. There's so much more to it, but we had such a good chat about like growing up in Miami and then moving to like white suburbs that I feel like we couldn't cut you know cut that short there's so much in there so we'll have to do a part two sometime talk more about your work but in the meantime everyone can go check out what you're doing on your Instagram which I'll link in the show notes so you can go check it out but yeah thank you so much for your time Manuela I really appreciate it thank you so much for having me Okay, friends, thank you for listening to this conversation with Manuela. If you want to see more of her work, follow her on Instagram at LazyBeamArt. As always, I'm going to leave all her social links below so you can go ahead and check her out. If you're looking to get organized, listeners of the podcast can get a free undated weekly and monthly planner inspired by the show by using the link in our show notes or going to drawsinspanish.com. If there's a Latinx visual artist based in the U.S. that you think I should speak to on this show, go ahead and nominate them by going to drawsinspanish.com slash nominate. There's no shame in nominating yourself, by the way. Just go for it. Anyway, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Draws in Spanish. Gracias y chao.